0: Hi, Peter. Hey, Juice. So, how excited were you to meet Brad from Save the Med here in Mallorca, Spain?
1: Oh my gosh, this was so awesome because you know we've been following this this um, NGO for a while now, and we didn't know anything about how it started and who um, you know, who created it. And he was awesome. Yeah,
0: he was amazing. We learned about this charity from our kids' school. They're super active in the schools here, and when we first moved to Mallorca, um, four years ago, they were doing a beach cleanup. So we, of course, we went because we're good little citizens yeah. and we learned so much about microplastics and about beach cleanups. It was great.
1: Can you believe that was four years ago?
0: Yeah, right. Feels like yesterday and it then it does. feels like it was 100 years ago.
1: He's also, they're also, saying the Mets doing a uh, photo challenge on If You I Will. Yeah. So um, make sure you go up there. It's a beach photo challenge.
0: So you know you've been to a beach, right? Everybody's been to a beach at some point. Upload your photo, and then whoever gets the most votes, the top five vote-getters who have the most upvotes will receive one- to two-night hotel stays at some sweet hotels.
1: Uh, This is so cool. All these hotels have, have donated these room nights and all you have to do is upload your photo and get your friends to uh, upvote them. And the top winners get to pick um, which hotel they want to
0: stay at. Yeah. And some of the hotels, actually, I think almost all of them are five-star hotels. They're gorgeous. So gorgeous. Do it. It's free, it's cool. people free. We love it. And it helps save the med. So it's a, it's a winner all around. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. So people should go to what? www. Oh, if you, I will
1: www.ifu.iwill.com. There we and, go. Uh, and you'll see the, uh, save, the Mo- channel- save the Med Challenge there.
0: And that is on until December 4th. In the meantime, listen to the podcast. You will learn, you will be inspired, and you will just have a lot of fun with Brad, Peter, and myself. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Do Together podcast, where we talk to incredible people who are in the trenches working to make the world better. These are some of the most determined, creative, and inspirational people we've ever met. You will be inspired, educated, and laughed, sometimes a lot. I'm your host, Judy, with my husband, Peter. Now it's time for our show. Hi, everyone. Well, Peter and I are really excited today because today we are speaking with Brad Robertson, who is president and co-founder of one of our favorite organizations, Save the Med. Hi, Brad. Hello. Welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, come on our Do Together podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah,
1: we're so totally psyched. We love this organization. We've had so much fun with it.
0: We found this organization when we moved to Mallorca three years ago, and it was the first couple of months because the kids were doing a beach cleanup. So we've been in love with the organization ever since. Um, If you could tell us a little bit about Save the Med and some of the work that Save the Med does, we'd appreciate it.
2: Yeah, sure. And um, thanks for the enthusiasm Towards the organisation, it's um it's great to see uh, people from outside the organisation finding us and um and matching the enthusiasm enthusiastic levels that the team has. Uh, very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Save the Med is a marine regeneration organisation, so we we um we work towards regenerating the the Mediterranean Sea, um, focusing on on the Balearic Sea and here in the Balearic Which is Islands. Gorgeous. It is. Um, oh. We're actually. The, the location of the Balearic Islands in the western Mediterranean um, is the perfect location to regenerate now uh, why is that we've um, we're separated uh, from the rest of Europe and from Africa um, it's, yeah. it's obviously by um, a big body of water um, but also when you look at the um, the topography of of the med uh, the Western med the um, the Balearics um, are also protected by deep water channels, uh, so a lot of the um, the pressures that are on the rest of the Mediterranean are um, are restricted here. So you have a it's literally a a marine paradise in the middle of a very very sick sea.
1: Wow. Well, we're going to get into that, but um, I'm not very mm. good at this. But you don't sound Spanish.
2: Sí, you soy español. <laughs> no. How did you end up doing this? Yeah, I. And um, you're
0: a co-founder, so tell us how you. How did you? Where are you from? How working. did you get here, and how did you co-found this organization? Well,
2: I I was born in Sydney, Australia, and I um I spent a lot of time up in North Queensland, actually, on the Great Barrier Reef. I yeah. uh, worked as a as a dive instructor there on the liverboards and the day boats, um, and then I moved up to Thursday Island, uh, which is a little tiny um, speck of dirt between Papua New Guinea and and Cape York. <laughs> Uh, which was, yeah, right, really quite a spectacular place to live. Um, and my girlfriend at the time, Spanish girl, Bea, um, she wanted to move to Sp- back to Spain. She's from Pamplona. So we. Um, I said, listen, I need some water. Um, yeah. That was my only criteria. <laughs> um, and we, we came to Mallorca. She delivered on the water in spades. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, Pamplona, where she's from, it's full of uh, fresh water. So not quite the water I was looking for. <laughs> So you
0: came here, and then what did you what did you do when you came here?
2: Um, well, we didn't know anybody, um, so wow. um, I, I thought I'd hung up my um, my mask and my fins um, in regards to teaching uh, when I left Australia, uh, teaching diving, um, but then came here and thought, well, it's really the only thing I I know how to do that I like to do, yeah. um, so I started up a dive school here, um, and I focused on um, on the luxury yacht market. Um, it seemed a lot more sensible than, um, trying to squeeze pennies out of, um, out of tourists. Um, and, um, and through that process being my own boss, um, I could implement, um, education programs and, and give my divers, uh, the information that I wanted to give them so it wasn't just the mechanics oh. of diving it was why are we diving and yeah. what are we looking at and why is it like that and um, so I, I, I was pretty proactive in Australia on the dive boats with education and so as my own boss it, it it gave me the freedom to to do what I wanted to do. How long did you do that for? Um, here in Majorca I, I, I started I, I guess it was close to seven or eight years um and through that period uh, association Ondine started uh, which was the spin off of my business um and that was the ngo um that was the the birth of save the med um, so you started with a for profit business
1: and moved it into an ngo
2: yeah basically there yeah. were two separate organizations but um as things evolved the business was going relatively well i was doing um doing lifeguard courses as well for the yachts and and things were looking pretty good but then Ondine um, was growing, um, the NGO, and I had to make a decision. I, there's only one of me. So I, I was like, which way do I go? And I, I, I'm not one to exist to chase money. Um, and I thought, well, if I've got an opportunity to do something that I really, really love to do, um, let's let's give it a go.
1: I always find it fascinating, the people who chase their passions as their job. And it sounds like you did that to the extreme. Yeah. I mean, first you're a professional diver and then you said, no, that's not enough. I need to take to the part of diving I like the most.
2: Absolutely. And I remember when I first started diving as a job and <clears throat> many people telling me, what, what are you doing, Brad? You're making your hobby your job. You're going to hate it. <laughs> um, I still love That's it. I, I still feel much more comfortable underwater than I do on land. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a, a, a very um, sort of fine-tuning of, of what my passion is. Um, and, and that's the sea. I'm just a passionate yeah. scuba diver that wants to see a healthy, a clean and healthy sea.
0: So when you started Save the Med, the purpose was to educate mm. people. Tell us a little bit about what your vision was in the beginning, because I'm sure it's changed. Absolutely.
2: I think, um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest problems that we have, um, as a species and the, the systems that we create, um, particularly the economic system, um, is everything is completely structured. Um, completely analysed, and you have to have very specific routes um, on where you're going. Um, nothing in nature is like that. Um, yeah. Nature is it, it evolves. Everything's organic. It depends on the surroundings. It depends on the environment. How evolution happens. Um, but yet we think that controlling everything um, is the right way to go. So this um, the organisation of this organi- of, of Save the Med was absolutely hundred percent organic. Um, it grew the right people popped up at the right times. Um, I met Gabriel Moray, Biel Moray our vice president uh, 10 years ago or so through our passion and love for sharks. Um, and that relationship bloomed into a friendship. And that was, we came, I asked Biel, I said, where am I going to find sharks here in the Balearics? And yeah. he said, good luck with that. Um, I, he then told me about a, a um, population of stingrays in the Bay of Palmer. Um, oh, stingrays yeah. being a close cousin of the shark, yeah. the less my Um and I thought, well, that's that's close enough. Um, <laughs> and we ended up putting a project, a research project, together on the on the stingrays here in the Bay of Palmer, and that was the the first project that we did as Association Nondine. Um, I, and What
0: was it to do? To study it was them, to or? study
2: the population. The, we we knew that there was quite a dense population, and, and the, the the scientists here knew that they 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 were frequenting this area, um. But they didn't know exactly what they were doing. Um. So we did a twelve month survey to work out when they were there, um. And then we when we worked out the months of the 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 dense population, then there was more research on what they were doing, and they they're here to reproduce.
0: Oh, that's great! And has the population increased?
2: Um, I don't know because that that project they they're the common it's a common stingray. It's I guess it's called a common stingray yeah. because it's quite <laughs> common, right? Um, yes, there's lots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think I don't think they're um, they're a species that are uh, that are um, threatened with extinction. So okay. um, we we sort of left that one after a couple of years um, and evolved. I um, a true believer in particularly for NGOs not reinventing the wheel um so when we when we were going through the first year of the stingray survey I said to BL we need to think about what we're going to do next otherwise we're going to be a one-hit wonder and then we're going to be gone um so I did a little bit of research um plastic pollution back then 2012 um, was not a common household name like it is today yeah. um, but I did some research and it seemed to me that this was um, this was something that was was uh, really having a massive impact on the sea mm-hmm. um, there wasn't I don't think there was anybody in Mallorca working on plastic pollution back then um, I ended up contacting various groups around the world thinking um a very romantic and ignorant view on <laughs> ngos um thinking that we all want to share things with each other oh, yeah, um no. yeah <laughs> um not quite right um so i was did you find it competitive or it was or is it just apathy i, I found it quite disgraceful actually <laughs> in
1: what way uh, option c option yeah, disgrace
2: yeah no it, uh, absolutely absolutely the um the there's, things are slowly changing, um, but um, the competitiveness between NGOs is, um, is completely destructive. Wow. Um, it, it's, it, it was really, really surprising to me that, that when I was reaching out and telling people that I was starting and what I was looking for was a, an existing education program and existing yeah. beach clean techniques and everything else so I didn't have to do it all um and after i don't know how many calls and emails i found a wonderful group in australia of all places (laughs) um and i didn't know these people before i before i called them um and it's paul and Silke from two hands in australia um and they loved what i was starting and they said to me brad take all of our material um take the beach clean data sets, um, how we do it, the protocols, take the schools oh, wow. program, manipulate it how you like so it can fit your local area, and run with it. Oh, that's um, fantastic. It was, it was uh, an important connection because it, it sort of rejuvenated some faith in humanity yeah. um, to find an NGO that was willing to collaborate.
0: Is it still like that with the, with the plastics groups or the ocean groups? I'm not sure what to sort of call them, but is it still very territorial?
2: It is. It is. It's. Um. It, it's not. It, it's not as. Um. As how would I say? Um. Collaborative as one would think it would be in this industry. Well, that's um, disappointing. It is, and I think uh, one of the reasons, w- from my observations over the last ten years, um, is the way the way that funders, um, traditional funders, are funding small to medium NGOs, um, is not. The model itself is not coherent to assisting the organization as a whole. Okay, what do you mean?
0: Yeah, talk a little bit more about that. Well, I mean,
2: if you're if you're running an organization, um, there are more expenses expenses than just the project expense, right? So when you apply for a a grant, um, it's very specific for a specific project, and very little on on very little very few occasions will you have um, extra money in there for overheads um, mm-hmm. and, and basically core funding. Um, so th- the way we describe it is sort of trickle funding, um, little bits here, little bits there. Yeah. Um, and this, sure, it gets the projects done. But this is one of the reasons why people that work in NGOs um, get burnt out um, because there's there's very little assistance, particularly for small and medium NGOs, um, to stabilize their organization so they can focus on their projects without having to juggle three or four different things at the same time.
1: As a you know former CEO, you probably had some skills that translated pretty well, like marketing and engagement and getting attention out there. But this is new raising money is a yeah, whole Yeah, absolutely.
2: World. I as I, I wouldn't describe myself as a CEO. I was a, I was a sole trader as such. <laughs> um, CEO sounds pretty cool. You're still
1: CEO of yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Um, but um no I I had um, I had very very little business background. Um, business skills. Um, I had a lot of enthusiasm. Um, and a lot of drive, and it's it's the people and what I was saying before about this organisation evolving organically, if I didn't meet the people that I've met over the last 12 years here in Mallorca, none of this would have happened.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. So it's, it's, do it's together. you know, it, it's
2: the, the team that we have here is, is yeah. just exceptional and you you know some of them. Um, and it's not just the, the direct employees. The board of directors um, are an absolutely fantastic group of people, very passionate. We meet once yeah. a month and that's only only required to meet once every four months. So oh, wow. Yeah, they're really, like really engaged. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's definitely a team effort and, um, you know, it, what got this going was my enthusiasm and, and passion and I think mm-hmm. the fact that I was removed from my comfort zone in Australia um, and sort of forced into a, into a unique situation of, of, of moving
1: yeah, yeah so basically fresh start let me just throw everything out and do, do Ad, absolutely yeah, yeah <laughs> nothing absolutely nothing to lose since
0: yeah. you don't have anything why not No it, right, it, yeah, exactly it. exactly yeah. Well I have to say your energy and the staff's energy without a doubt trickles all the way down to the kids. Yeah. And my kids have done a couple of education um, times with you guys in, through the school. And every time they've done them, they come home and they're just buzzed with education, with facts, with information, and with, okay, we can't use this plastic. We've got to do this. No more straws. No more. But it is a great um, – it's a great program at the schools that you're doing. And,
1: and it's definitely become – I mean, we're not a big island here in Mallorca, but it's become kind of a – an asset to the island. Everybody yeah. I know, uh, whether they're focused on it or not, knows Save the Med yeah. and has a warm spot for them. Yeah. So you've captured people's attention
0: and their hearts for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, uh, and you you see the boats. We went to go see one of the boats last year. Um, that was I forget what it was called. That showed us the plastics that are coming in and the yeah, microplastics. They go and
1: clean up the plastics yeah. and do some research and gather.
0: Yeah, but you've done a fantastic job on the island. Everybody loves you and. You are educating the next generation, which hopefully they remember the anti-plastics when it's Christmas time. <laughs> if only that
1: can turn into money, that would be.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, without a doubt. But um, you know, it's it, it's great. I think one of the 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 the, the very strong points or the pillars of the organization is to is to stay relatively positive um, about all of these situations. Once you start to point fingers and to accuse people and everything else, you start to lose your audience. Um, so yeah. staying positive. One of the things I would have liked, if I could look back and change anything of this organization, it would potentially be how we lead with our education initiatives. Um, reason we have the plastics program is thanks to Paul and Silky in Australia from Two Hands Project, yeah. um, and we ran with it. Um, but now we've, we've got a bigger team, um, we've got more outlook, we've, we've had some really good successes with um, designing and helping establish a local marine protected area um, and some just absolutely amazing experiences in the water um, here coastally um, and offshore. Um, and to share those those positive experiences with the children before we get into the plastics problem is oh. the direction that we're going. So we're trying what we're trying to do now is to evolve some um, some new education initiatives that are based on the bluefin tuna, the the mobula mobulas or the giant devil rays that are here, the yeah. the success of some of the marine protected areas, and show people that the Mediterranean particularly this part of the Mediterranean Mm -hmm. is far from dead Um, it's actually in some places thriving with life and to get the kids excited before they get concerned right um, right that's
0: an excellent point do when you do the marine protected areas is that to help the wildlife survive like and and does
2: it work it does um, marine protected areas all around the world have various definitions and various applications. Um, here in Spain, a marine protected area is um, protected. It's a, it's, it's, it's a fisheries-based reserve, which means that um, these areas are protected with a list of species that the local fishermen can catch and then take to the market and sell. So the MPAs here are, are, are designed and implemented for the economy. Um, on saying that there's obviously environmental benefits Mm -hmm. from this, Mm -hmm. but what we'd also like to do and what we will do over the next few years is, um, the next few months is identify other legal frameworks, um, within Europe, within Spain that we can then overlay on top of the base, which will be fisheries reserves, um, so that these protected areas, um, become a lot more robust um i mean the bentic environments the environments the bottom dwelling animals and plants um you've got some here it, there's a few locations with gorgonian fans and for anyone that's not a diver and doesn't know what a gorgonian is it's a it's a, it's a soft coral um and you don't expect to see this sort of stuff no. in the med and we're here in the Balearics. there's a few locations and it's absolutely pristine um so these oh, and they're wow. very delicate they're also a protected species um, but you have a lot of damage from from trawlers, um, from long lines. Um, so it's it's the industrial fishing that um, that we need to sort of uh, address, um, uh, really embrace the artisanal fishermen, um, bring them in. These yep. these these people are are custodians of the sea. Yeah. Uh without them, um, it's very, very hard to to manage these locations. Um and the saddest thing is, I mean, coming from Oz, we um we didn't do a very good job with our culture. Um, it's quite quite um, disturbing when you look at the Australian history and what we've done with um, the Aboriginal culture. Um, but we're full of hi-
0: shame too, don't we? Every-
2: <laughs> it's um yeah, yeah, it's an absolute disgrace. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get I didn't grow up educated about yeah. culture and Australian culture, but when I moved to Europe and I started to to see um, how important traditions are here. Um, and totally. particularly the fishing traditions and the artisanal style of fishing, responsible style of fishing, um the way i see these people now they they're actually part of the marine environment.
0: Oh totally. Um, Absolutely. They're the true environmentalists.
2: Without a doubt. So and you know we all need to eat. So um so yeah having some sort of good management of these areas uh, which includes human activity um, a lot of the time, people, when they think about marine protected areas or protection of the sea, they think everything is everything's prohibited. You're not allowed to do anything. Um, we've a few years ago we changed the term from conservation to regeneration, mm-hmm. um, and the reason we did that is because the the traditional form of conservation is like taking a snapshot of a of an ecosystem and saying this is what it should look like, right? Um, yeah. But what Regeneration is and we we're talking I was talking about it before is is everything everything evolves so things are different all the time particularly with climate change we're going to see a lot of changes yeah. um, regardless of, of what we do now we're, we're, we're going to see these changes happen um, so using the term regeneration and the vision of regeneration it means very good management of natural resources but it includes human impact and our necessities as well, um, and this is, I think, where um, Save the Meds really pioneering in our in our forward thinking is is not to be the traditional conservationists, where we want to push human activity away, yeah, and say you can't do anything. No, hang on a minute, we need to think about this in a much more holistic totally. way, and include totally. human beings we are part of the natural yeah. environment we need to be included in these management plans
0: that is so smart i couldn't agree with you more i mean that's how
1: roosevelt started in the u.s too it was the hunters that he went after the sportsmen they're, they're their custodians it,
2: they absolutely you know absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah
0: it reminds me of the ve- uh the vegans and the vegetarians like everybody's not going to give up meat all the time but if you cut back well, and that's, I think that there is a middle ground and you're heading into that. What is our obligation and what is our duty to make sure that this environment thrives and stays around? Absolutely.
1: Uh, and now that all vegans and vegetarians have opted out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: No, but, no, but I think that it's, I love that, you know, the Impossible Burger, like a lot of vegan and vegetarian food has come up now because we realize everybody is not going to just give it all up. There are some that can, but is there, are there alternatives so people can do two or three meals a week? Which if, think about that. If everyone in America changes, even I think it's, what was it, like um, uh, Mondays, you know, meatless Mondays, yeah. that's a lot less meat being eaten, right? So that's my point.
1: I'm sure you have a lot of stories. You seem like one, a, a lot of- What's the <laughs> craziest thing that has happened to you since starting an NGO? Can you can you think of anything that's just like oh my gosh?
2: Yeah, I, so the cra- the craziest thing um, that happened to me, and I have to thank um, Stephen Hurst for for um, instigating this crazy story, um, was um, I was I was lucky enough to be sent on board um a a National Geographic boat um which was had a hundred people on board including myself they're all top level conservationists philanthropists from Papua New Guinea to Solomon Islands um it was all run by Mission Blue um so Sylvia Earl was was on board um did that trip which was a pretty crazy trip and that was a big eye-opener on on what I call corporate conservation and how it works and Somehow it doesn't work, um, but then when I came back, um, we then flew to to Monaco. Um, and I was, it, it was, that it was, it was really bizarre because I was, I was immersed in all of this, this top level conservation, which was five-star hotels and private jets. <laughs> and, and it, it was, and I, at that stage I had no money in the, oh in the God. account. Um, and, um, I, it just, it oh just really, it was really, That's it was the, the, the sparks yeah. were just, it didn't make any sense at all. Um, but it was a great opportunity um and I, I made some great contacts we had sylvia earl here i've dived with her in in el toro which is a local oh, marine protected it's area beautiful yeah it blew her away absolutely blew, blew away so diving with sylvia earl was was quite a crazy experience um, i remember sitting on the boat thinking i hope the fish are there i hope the fish are there i hope the fish are there you know what it's like <laughs> totally. you can go to an awesome dive site <laughs> right. on a day and see nothing oh, that place is insane um but they they performed the fish performed, which was great. Um, and I think, it, uh, if I remember correctly, Sylvia saying it was the best dive she's done in the Mediterranean.
1: Oh wow, yeah, wow. that's that's, uh, that's where my son got certified, and he just just blew, blew. Yeah,
2: it's. I've I've had I had um I had friends over here from Australia, instructors that have worked on and still do work on the Great Barrier Reef, and they were saying that the that El Toro, and I I agreed totally, is better than many of the dive sites that the tourist boats go to out of Cairns.
0: Wow. I, I, I
1: don't know if I can compare the two. I would say they're wow. very different. But but you, you
2: can't compare the the, the environment. Obviously, they're cho- they're just chalk and cheese. But the experience, when yeah. you're in El Toro, particularly in September, when it is just oh, absolutely yeah. thriving, and then you go to a dive site, which has been absolutely beaten oh, by that's the day the problem, boats, yeah. right? Um, and then my, I took my dad diving in on the Great Barrier Reef. He's a chartered accountant, so completely both of us chalk and cheese as well. <laughs> um, and he came up from his first dive on one of these sites that that do get beaten by the tourist boats, um, and he said, "What's all the fuss about?"
1: Oh wow.
2: So, uh, so yeah, it's you can't compare the two, but just to give you so to give the listeners some idea that um, that there are world class dive sites here in in the Bularic Islands.
1: I still am haunted by the giant clam fields there.
2: Yeah, they're beautiful, home. Unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. In that El are, Toro? No,
1: in the Barrier Reef. Yeah, Reap. In twice the as Barrier large Reap. as me, and you just feel so small standing, oh floating next to these massive, giant gorgeous clans yeah,
2: yeah yeah there's some um, that there, i mean the experiences that i had in australia diving were absolutely mind blowing um and i i still quite amazingly have the same feeling here in, in the Blairic Islands in some locations, oh, yeah. you know, being in the middle of a, a school of bluefin tuna.
1: Oh, that's phenomenal.
2: Um, yeah, with that's maybe a 1,000 metres of water underneath us, sitting oh, at 10 metres, looking up, and all you can see is tuna looking down. All you can see is tuna, oh. every direction, tuna, 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 um, in the water with with devil rays um, dancing around you, Um just absolutely spectacular. Yeah,
0: that is spectacular. Hey, can we touch on plastics for a minute? Sure. Tell us, because you had a great victory of uh, Mallorca is plas- is going to pl- no more plastic straws.
2: Yeah, uh, there's, there's a, there is a, a local law that's come in that's been based on the European law, um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a good start. Um, okay. It's a good start. It can be um, definitely improved. So um, what is the
0: law then now?
2: All right, well, um, <laughs> but the been, whole thing. <laughs> oh, no. No, but is okay. it, this is going to be a very long
0: podcast.
1: And yeah, yeah, yeah. no, so no, we're
2: going to read it in Spanish.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, I thought it was just no plastic straws anymore. There,
2: there are certain items that the local government have banned, certain single-use items yeah. that they've banned. One of the problems with the law is a lot of these items can be replaced with bioplastics.
0: Okay, what's a bioplastic? Okay,
2: bioplastic is a – most of them are a false – concept of having something better than the original problem
1: like a pla or something
2: exactly you know so a lot of these um these products are um they're still oil-based um they may have a higher percentage of of natural product in there whether it's potatoes or whatever um but they still it still has an oil-based polymer in there um a lot of this
1: but they do biodegrade right or is that well
2: this is this is another thing there there are as time develops, there are products coming out that, that do what they say on the box. Okay. Um, but met, in most of the world, um, another problem we have is that there are very few marketing laws that control what people say.
1: Oh, that's oh. fascinating. This, yeah. is, this is like the organic issue. Yes.
0: Yeah. It, oh, yeah. So
2: it, it's it, what it says on the box um, is not what it says on the box. Um If something says it's biodegradable or compostable, I should say if that says it's compostable, uh, you have a look at the fine print on most of those because they're compostable but in laboratory-like conditions. So certain temperature, (laughs) certain humidity, certain type of light. Wow. Um, And there's there's
1: no control over that.
2: There's very little marketing control. Um, We had an experience at when I was a little bit more on the ground um, and working with visiting hotels, now the, the Beleda Sensor Plastic team do it, um, I had one particular box of, of bio straws, whatever they are made of, um, that these hotel owners used to show me. Um, and I said, after I think the third or fourth time, I said, listen, I, I really... I hope you haven't spent a lot of money on this product because I don't think it is doing what it says on the box. Um, it said it was... Um, it was compostable, um, in some sort of form. And I, I, we did some investigation, and we found out that it was um, oxo biodegradable. Um, now, so
0: what does that mean?
2: Oxo biodegrad—I think they've actually changed the term. So, oxo biodegradable sounds pretty good, right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah it sounds awesome. To yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's clever marketing. It's—it's um, <laughs> it's simply a chemical additive that you put into standard plastic, and it means that the plastic will break down into microplastics a lot faster.
0: Oh no. Um,
2: and then what? And, and then it goes yeah. into the food chain yeah. and, and everything else. So it's, um, so I, we rang this company. Um, they had a, yeah. a, a, a office in, in the Netherlands and one in England. Uh, we re- I, there was myself and three team members for the afternoon. It was a very small investigation. And we, I rang them up and I said, oh, I'm, I'm very sorry, Mr. Robertson, but that department's not here today. Um, classic run around, run around, run around. Yeah. Um, and then I said to the team, listen, we're getting nowhere. I'll send them an email and that's it. I got a reply from the CEO uh, about three days later. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A reply from the CEO about three days later saying, Dear Mr. Robertson, you're absolutely correct. These straws are oxo-biodegradable, blah, 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 punto. Thank you for your email. That afternoon... Everything on their website had changed. Oh my They'd god! They'd taken it all down and gone.
0: Well done. Yeah, but the
2: thing is, that's it's a little bit like that um that game where you're slapping the animals yeah, where yeah, they're the, popping up yeah. all the time. You know, Whack-a-mole. as soon as you get one down, another one pops up. So that technique is not an efficient way to deal with this problem. Uh, what we need is we need policymakers to look at marketing laws, um that's and and really stress the point of telling the truth (laughs) it's it's not a hard thing to do um but i guess if marketers are telling the truth their sales are not going to be as good as they potentially could be if they were telling lies No.
1: well how do you get attention of people obviously the more attention that you grab um the, the more influence you have over policy and you're doing a great job with schools we should talk about how you've engaged with them and what kind of marketing you do yourself to get people's attention
2: Um, it's, well, it, it varies. Um, and our, our, um, I think the, how do I, how do I answer this one? The, the, the marketing itself is, is through the success of the projects that we're doing. Um, so there's no point for us to market something that doesn't exist or market something that we're not doing. So what I've found with, with most of our projects is we need to get things moving um, even if there's no funding for it, we need to get them moving mm-hmm. to grab that attention, and then that attention from that that investment of time and resource that we've put into the project will then generate the interest and and equate into income. Um, but again, oh, because yeah, because because on a if we were a business and where our sales were increasing, we would have funds to grow, right. um, but when we start the projects, the demand increases, and then we've got to sort of um, shuffle along behind that demand to look for the funding to keep up with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, have you been using social media a lot?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, not, I wouldn't say um, a lot. But I mean, we don't have a Twitter account, which everyone's like, um, but yeah, if, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, uh, Instagram yeah. they're, they're all there, definitely. Uh, it's great. Um, and the more people I talk to, um, they, they always, they're always saying, wow, we're keeping up with you on social media yeah. and we can't believe how well you're doing. Um, so it, it's um, a lot of it is, is word of mouth as well. Um, yeah. And I think also a lot of it is, um, is it's, I've, after 10 years of doing this, I feel like I'm just starting. Um, yeah. It feels like it's been 10 years of building the, that base of projects, getting the team together, establishing yeah. the board of directors, getting funders on board, um, and now um, I feel like that we we have that base, so people trust us. They know yeah. that they they know that that experience is there. They know that commitment's there. Um, and our next our next phase of evolution is to take this work that we're doing in the field and um, and take it to Brussels and and assist policymakers to change oh, policy
1: is that the goal is that you want to is that to be your main purpose is affecting policy change more broadly
2: I absolutely absolutely I think um, main purpose is a is a is it, it's a very we go back to what we're talking about with business and having a very specific purpose of existence, right? Um, when you're working in a field like this, sure, it makes sense to have a, be very good at one thing. Um, but when everything is so interconnected, um, it's very hard to say, okay, so we're just going to focus on schools and we're going to be the best at schools. This is a very business oriented mentality. Yeah. Um, if we want to change policy, We also need the support of the local population. Absolutely. Um, And the only reason, the only way we get that support is through the school's programs, through the multimedia, through the social media platforms, through engagement, events, everything else. Um, Because when we go to Brussels to ask for policy change and we've got a million signatures saying yep. we want this policy change as well, there's going to be a, a lot more chance of having it. So on a broader scale, um, yeah, it's really important for us to be on the ground, working with local communities, working with the local government. We've got a great relationship with the local government. Um, we work with Madrid as well. Um, so there's there's that respect at that level too. Um, and I think collectively with all of these elements, we've got a much better chance of achieving these goals of changing policy.
1: Is there any advice you would give to somebody who wants to start a nonprofit, any mistakes that you made that you'd redo or things you would have done more of?
2: Sure. That's, that's like an encyclopedia. Are, <laughs> are we going to be reading the law again? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, but uh, going back to, back to um, the, the start of this, it, it's, if you want to start an NGO, you want to start something that you're passionate about, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Yeah um, that is great advice. It's yeah. um it's it's time consuming it's demoralizing you 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 want to reduce the amount of time that you're working for free. Um I think I did 6 years um before there was any smell oh. of money. Oh, um wow. when we first got our our the, the first income we got I employed somebody else. Um wow. and that was to keep the product double the productivity um and it was it was a big struggle there's an awesome group here in in Mallorca you guys should know about as well called Arels Marines, um and Josep and his team um, they're all from Poenza, Alcudia um all locals Mallorquines um and they've set something up in a year um that took me seven years to do um wow yeah, yeah they're, they're absolute legends um they um they they <laughs> and I was trying to give yourself a little bit of advice about not working for free for so long. Yes, um, it's it 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 puts pressure on every element of of your life, your relationship, all of your bills that you need to pay. Um, so one of the one of the um, sort of midterm objectives of Save the Med is, as we stabilize our own organization, um, and I've got no dreams of this becoming. A bingo a big international NGO we need to stay locally focused with the Mediterranean having 21 or so countries bordering it that's 21 that's, that's different languages that's different ways of solving problems that's that's different scenarios with the same problem different levels of corruption in in different areas yeah. um so what I'd love to be part of um, is a very well-oiled network of small to medium NGOs here in the in the Mediterranean, where we're all sharing resources, including projects, including funding, um, and bring uh, bring that um, that patchwork of small to medium local NGOs up to a level where they become efficient and effective. Um, there's there's a lot of um, downward movement from policymakers basically sitting in Brussels with very little information about what's really happening on the ground. Yeah. So they're making policy based on probably 20% of the information that they should have. Um, and if we could get this network of small to medium NGOs moving, it means that collectively we can take the rest of the 80% of information that the policymakers should have in front of them and say, listen, guys and girls, here. Now you can do your job yeah. properly.
0: That's great. Yeah, that's a fantastic strategy. And you know, it's true—the small and the medium-sized NGOs—they do so much work. They have, they're just they're boots on the ground, getting the stuff done, and have really the the stats and the information. Well, that's a good segue. I was
1: wondering, what do you do with volunteers? I'm sure you have people knocking down your door.
2: Yeah, we do. Um, and to be honest, it's been very, very difficult. Um, A lot of the time, and and out of the goodness of their heart, people will offer um, their services, but because it's a volunteer situation, every other element of their life is a higher priority than that volunteer work so then something will happen and we we'll, this is what happened at the beginning um I was looking for volunteers to help um they would help for a little while and through no fault of their own yeah. but through, through situation through their situation they would say Brad I'm really sorry I can't finish this uh, and then this would sort of continue and continue what we've done with um with camper um, the The shoe company yeah. um, they're absolutely amazing business um, still a family business um, yeah. which is for me is is absolutely critical when you want to instigate change um, as soon as a, as soon as a big organization becomes a corporation um, there's only one objective and that's making money that's um, true. if you keep your family values um, within that business and family control of that business you can instigate change which is what camp have done they've very kindly offered um, a, a certain amount of time whether it's a day or two days um, per year for each employee to dedicate um, to volunteering um, and I ran this problem past uh, their team and I said listen well, it's great you send us 100 people but what are they going to do so we structured a document with the the projects, um, what we have, what necessities there are, and then Camper put in their their department, which was attached to the necessities. So then they could just look through them, look for their own department, look at the job that was needed. Do they have that skill set? Yes. Contact the project coordinator. Oh, all wow. done.
1: Would you do that with other companies too? Yeah, is abso- that something you want to grow?
2: Absolutely. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's it's potentially. Um, something that the companies themselves could instigate mm-hmm. yeah. um, because it's I mean like small to medium NGOs are completely overworked um, yeah. where we're all um, juggling many, many things. Um, so yeah some understanding from um, from bigger organizations that their input at the beginning um, with, with some guidance um, can just that time dedication can be a massive help.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! God, I have to say, I, I'm thrilled to hear that about Campers because I love their
2: shoes. Yeah, they're awesome.
0: They make a great product, and the fact that their family runs still and and participating with Save the Met, that's even better.
2: Yeah, I've um, I've been very lucky, you know, spending time with with the family members and and at the beach and and showing them the problems. Uh, and this is this is really um, the core um, to getting. Um, people in that influential people yeah. to be able to change, they need to see the problem firsthand um, they can they can see it on on reports, they can see it on telly but once w- when the the biggest realization is when a human sees the problem and particularly plastic pollution when they 're picking up the nurdles and the microplastics oh, on a beach
1: God. I think you need to tell people what the nurdles are. I had no idea
2: what these are Nurdles are small little pellets um they're pre-production plastic pellets um if that's enough peas for you Uh, (laughs) good thing we have a pea guard they are a little bit like (laughs) little little peas so it's suitable the name um and so when the oil is extracted um the first um form that is made with the plastic are these little noodles. um now i challenge anybody out there to find me a beach in the world that does not have nurdles on it. And why is that? Um, due to um, the form that they are, you're talking about trillions and trillions of these little balls being shipped around the world. Um, so you're losing containers. They're going into the water. Um, manufacturing, they're, they're, when, they're, when they're turning these, these nurdles into whatever it may be, whether it be single-use plastic or multi-use plastic, it all comes from nurdles. Um, so in the manufacturing process, cleaning machines down the drain um it's yeah it's it's a massive massive issue
1: so i i had no idea what these were and and um one of your employees told us what they were and sure enough when i started looking for them they're everywhere, they're everywhere.
2: this they're is everywhere. the thing once you once oh. you know and you're you observed one then they they are really everywhere but this is this is what people need to see yeah. and need to realize
0: well i would challenge anyone to Go to a beach, find me a beach that doesn't have plastic on it.
1: Judy's a little obsessed. She actually now goes to the beach with a net and she walks around the net with a net scooping up plastics. That's pretty funny. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, it's everywhere. It's really disheartening at times. So if I'm going to be hanging out in the water, I might as well be picking up plastic. A lot of times I'll stick the plastic in my bathing suit. So I've been joking around that I should create a bathing suit that has a plastic pocket in it. (laughs) That's
1: right. It'll be like a sea otter.
2: <laughs> yeah, How? Um, yeah. practical, but very sad in itself that we have to That's think true. like that.
1: Uh, look, we should talk about, uh, we're doing it, launching a challenge. Uh, um, we're doing an If You I Will challenge with you guys. We are indeed. And um, we're hoping we get a lot of people involved. Post a picture of your favorite beach. Uh, it could be a selfie. It could be um, a beautiful trip you went on. It could be any type. But the more people who, who participate, the more we get the word out.
0: Yeah, about the great uh, work that Save the Med is doing. And also, Save the Med, so you can join the challenge. Go to if you, I-F, the letter U, I will, W-I-L-L dot com. And then also, you can make a donation to Save the Med at savethemed.org. You know what? We're in their office right now. And let me just tell you, any donation that you give to this amazing organization is going literally to the work they're doing, not to a fancy office. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Absolutely. Well, it's not so bad. No, it's Uh. lovely.
0: But, you know, I love small and medium-sized – I love donating to small and medium-sized NGOs because – the majority of the money goes for the work, and to and a little bit goes to the people who do the work. But it is not top heavy at all, and I think that that matters a lot. And it's just amazing how far your dollars go when you're giving to an organization like Save the Med.
2: And the, the other benefit of small to medium NGOs is where where um, we're contactable, we're reachable yeah. as individuals and team members. Um, the the relation, the best relationships we have with funders are when the funders are involved with what, with what we're doing at some level um and the more involved um the the better it is for everybody um they get to know who we are they get to see where the money goes they see the projects um a particular a lot of our um a lot we don't have that many but the high net worth um the bigger funders um it's not just about the money these people are hugely experienced they're very intelligent they've um they've got a lot of knowledge to share um and this is also something that we 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 really Ask for an embrace is is you want to get involved with this organisation? Sure, we need the money. This is this is a baseline. Um, but what's more actually more important is the experience, the business experience, mm-hmm. um, the worldly experience to help us to change, not the environment, but change the system that human beings are living within. Um, that the sea is actually perfectly fine without us. Um, <laughs> right. It's absolutely designed perfectly to thrive. Well, as a server,
1: I can say it's constantly trying to throw me out.
2: Yeah, know? yeah. I think I'm the, I'm the only Aussie in the world that doesn't surf, to be honest. How did that happen? I, I, I was diving too often. We <laughs> <laughs> go under the waves. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh,
0: hey, Brad, thank you so much for your time. It's been really fun talking oh, with you. It's we just, been a blast. Yeah, it's been great. We just love uh, Save the Med and you and your staff here. So thanks a million.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. It's, um, it's been great to, to have a chat first podcast in the office So all very cool and thanks very much for the help with the challenge um very much encourage people to get out there and take photos of themselves at the beach just be careful where you're taking the photos no silly accidents Uh, (laughs) and and
1: pick up some nurdles while you're out yeah
2: exactly exactly if you learn anything from this podcast what is a nurdle all right thanks bye-bye thanks very much bye-bye